Welcome back into the book room. My name is John Deegan. You may have noticed a bit of a pause between episodes. Life intervened, as it sometimes does. But I'm glad to be back and to be able to bring you this short interview with author, illustrator, and television producer Jay Ojik. I first became aware of Jay on Twitter through his wonderful series of Algonquin Word of the Day tweets, in which he provides an illustrated word in the Algonquin language. Jay is an Algonquin artist from the Kitigan Zibi community in Quebec. Go find him right now on Twitter at Jayojik, so that's J-A-Y-O-D-J-I-C-K. He's the author of the graphic novel Kagagi, The Raven, which features an indigenous superhero, and he's also the creator and producer of the television adaptation of Kagagi, a show you can see through APTN Network here in Canada and other outlets throughout the world. I sat down over Skype with Jay to talk about his latest success, which is his second illustration collaboration with popular children's author Robert Munch. The book is called Bear for Breakfast, and it's classic Robert Munch, a story inspired by his interactions with his own audience of kids. It's got a classic Munchian quest, hungry kid goes looking for a bear, meets lots of other characters, and finds more than he bargained for. But as readers of this book, we get more too. We get the story twice told, once in English and once in Algonquin. So here's Jay and me talking about the important project of language preservation and bear for breakfast. I'm just talking, just talking, just talking, just talking. How's it going? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yeah. And first of all, congratulations on the on the success of the book and just on the, on the gig itself. I would imagine illustrating a, a book for Robert Munch doesn't come along every day. Yeah, thanks. Uh, we uh, we've done two together, so uh, it's been good, and both of them are very successful and very well received. And I think with the second one, we raised the bar a little bit by um, Scholastic publishing it in Algonquin as well as English and French. So not only are we uh, continuing to work together, but we're raising the bar of, of what's been done, which is really cool. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, Robert Munch was totally on side with that whole idea of of the multi language editions. Uh, well, the thing is, I can't speak for, for Robert in terms of his outlook on these things, but I know for Black Lives, both of us waived our rights and royalties to any edition of the book that a First Nations community wanted to publish in their own language. Oh, that's terrific. Which, yeah, yeah which is really cool, and Scholastic is, is very eager to help those communities if they want to pursue that. Yeah. But at the same time, the, the financial responsibility and the onus is still on the communities to figure out how the publishing and the things works and, you know. Right. And to get the translation done and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then the translation, I think, is not as big of a deal. But I think for a lot of them, they don't really have a lot of experience with dealing with a printer, for example, on something like that or how the pre-press works or things of that nature. Sure. And while Scholastic will provide help if needed, it still puts the responsibility in the communities. And my thinking with the Algonquin edition was we can take the, the responsibility on if we just publish a version of the book in Algonquin right out of the gate. Right. And while it's only one version of the book, and there are many, of course, First Nations languages, it's a start. And who knows what we could see. So it's uh, it's been uh, great to see the book selling well. Because that means maybe next time we could see more than one language, or, or who knows what could come next. So yeah. it's a really exciting time in that way. Well, that's great. And I see, I, I follow you on Twitter. I feel like I've been following you on Twitter for a couple of years now. 
And I, I see from your tweets that in some circumstances when you're doing signings and stuff like that, the dual language edition is selling uh, better than the single language edition. Is is that right? Oh, and, and I don't know about through bookstores, but I know through Amazon in Canada, the uh, the Algonquin edition was vastly outselling the English only. Vastly like outselling. I couldn't, oh, yeah, like by a completely wide margin. I think at one point, out of all the books on Amazon.ca, I think we were in the top 300 with the Algonquin. And the English only was maybe in a top 3,000. Kind of unexpected, but at the same time, really, really thrilling that that's happening. Well, the whole thing's been a lot of field of dreams, right? On my end, where I keep saying, like, look, if we build it, they'll come. Right. And I know that's, I think it has to happen incrementally. I think um, I can understand that while I believe certain things, it's challenging a lot of notions within the publishing industry and I get that these things are being done in steps, and I'm okay with it. I don't know how many years ago we did my graphic novel, Kagagi the Raven, but when that first came out, I had comic book shop owners literally telling me a book with an Algonquin, like a book with a, an indigenous character won't sell. Did Kagagi have Algonquin language in it as well? Not the language, but the idea was that a book with an indigenous character won't be received by mainstream audiences. So we've gone from that ridiculous notion to having a Kagagi TV show to doing Black Flies, which was all native characters set on a reserve to Bear for Breakfast, which is all native characters set on a, an indigenous community with an indigenous language. So yeah, yeah. I think that, that bubble's been burst, yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, the last two years in Canada, for sure, have just seen this incredible flourishing of uh, indigenous literatures. So yeah, that that uh, spectacularly bad advice that you got from that comic book store owner uh, <laughs> does not apply yeah, anymore. Yeah. That's for sure. If it ev if it ever applied, I think I think you need to make that distinction between I wouldn't read and no one will read. Yeah. This project of uh, language preservation, which is what, what uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, drove uh, your idea to, to have a, a dual language edition of, of, of the children's book. This is not new for you. This is, this is something you've been working on for a very long time and, and, and incorporating it into most of your work. Is that right? Sure. When I did Black Flies, I had said that there were a couple of reasons I was doing it. And, I mean, coming off of... It's going to sound a little bit cocky, but we need to understand that, like, I had just come off of working on the Kagagi TV show uh, adaptation where I was the executive producer. I was working with the Museum of History at the time, and, and Black Lives was done concurrently with the work at the museum. So it was a lot of work on my end, and it was something where it really wasn't like, okay, you know, um, it, there was some thought as to can you handle all of this, and should you be doing this, you know? And I decided to do it, and the reason why I wanted to do it was twofold, because I wanted to try to open doors for other indigenous creators, number one, and I wanted to show that a big mainstream book like that with native characters set in an indigenous community could sell. Yeah. At a high, high level. And black there are other. Yeah, but there are certainly other indigenous kids books out there in the market. We're, of course, not the only one, but I think we're the only one through a major, huge market. Yeah, Scholastic gets its books everywhere, and and uh, obviously Robert Munch drives sales uh, like crazy as well. And then with uh, with Bear for Breakfast again, the thinking was, okay, look, we did this thing with Black Lives, that's really great, and and I'm sure that um, Bear for Breakfast is going to do pretty well. I don't know how well, obviously, the Algonquin version will do, but with this, 
maybe we can show that there's not only a market for indigenous content, but indigenous content in indigenous languages. Because language I think that's well. that's the next frontier for yeah. me. So it's not just about like the preservation of the Algonquin language, but opening the door to other First Nations to be able to say, hey, what if we deal with Random House? What if we deal with Penguin? What if we deal with whoever? And we can do these things in our own languages and put them out in every bookstore in Canada. Yeah, you know what? I, I have seen dual language books before and dual language books that use uh, indigenous languages, that, that highlight indigenous languages, but really only from small publishers uh, and and, exactly. and generating only small sales. So what what you're outlining there, that, that would uh, certainly be revolutionary. That's for sure. Well, we complain a lot. I think I do. And I don't think I'm alone, but we complain a lot about how in the entertainment industry, which we'll just go ahead and call this a part of, there there can at times be a lack of originality and a, a bit of a copycat syndrome. Yeah. You know, hopefully this, this works out well and other publishers see the financial merit, if not any other, you know, uh, merit to it and just say, look, this is something that can work. It can be profitable for us. So, you know, let's let's do the same thing. And that, I think, would be fantastic. And you've yeah. been doing uh, Algonquin Word of the Day illustrations yeah. and, and posting them on Twitter for years now. I've been following that for years. Yeah. And I and as you know, I even bought one of your uh, wildlife posters and, and put it That's up cool. uh, at my place in, in northern Ontario. Thank you very much yeah. for that, by the way. You're very welcome. Thank you for supporting the initiative. I've so far seen uh, seen two uh, mukwa. Is that how I say nice. it? Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've 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 observed them from a safe distance, but uh... <laughs> yes, that's good. you don't want to end up being breakfast, right? I don't. No, that <laughs> that's part of the project for me. <laughs> and uh, and even one night, one night I was going to turn out the porch light. It was this really snowy night, and I saw a fox. What's the fox again? Wagush. Uh, Wagush. Yeah. Yeah. Wagush. Wagush. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, and and uh, amazingly, it was sitting uh, in my front yard there, almost exactly the way you had drawn it. Oh, no, really? In that really sort of inquisitive pose that they that they yeah. take sometimes, you know? Yeah. Other, yeah. Uh, they're great. Have you ever heard one though? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's it's horrible. There's that song that came out, that crappy pop song a while back. Uh, what does the fox say? That's right. And the fox <laughs> sounds nothing like what he says in that sound. The fox sounds like somebody. I don't know, just torturing somebody. It sounds horrific. I remember the first time I ever heard one, I was like, what's happening? They're uh, they're terrifying. I said, they're nice to look at, but they're really shrill. Well, it was it was hunting something on my property, so I just let it be. Tell me a bit about preservation of the Algonquin language. Like, where, where does that project stand, and, and uh, how how confident are you for the future? Well, the, the three things that I've done that I think are uh, worth mentioning anyway would have started with the Kagagi TV show because we created a version that aired in Canada and uh, there were three language versions of Kagagi, the animated series. There was one that was just in English. There was one that was English with approximately 20% Algonquin. And then there was one that was 100% completely Algonquin. And uh, that was quite challenging to put together. And we didn't, in all honesty, with the TV show, we didn't have the budget to put together that Algonquin version, so I, I paid for it myself. And that involved, like, not only getting the translation done, but paying for studio costs and paying the, the, the voiceover cast yeah. and everything. It wasn't as expensive as it could have been because, like, the difference was with the English version, the voiceovers were done in Vancouver at Brian Adams Studio in Gastown. Oh, yeah. 
world-class multi-million dollar facility where several of your favorite albums have been recorded. That's right. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Algonquin version was recorded in Kitagon Zibi in a former corner store where the the people there transformed the beer cooler into a sound booth. Oh, very nice. Quite a bit of contrast between the two language versions and how they were put together. But it's it's very much a case of just DIY punk rock aesthetic saying like, look, how do we get this thing done? And we hired a group of youth to uh, do the voiceover recording. So uh, it was it would end up being something really cool, I think. But my my thinking with it was to try to provide a really entertaining, engaging way or resource for teachers to use to get teenagers and younger kids interested in the language and, and get them uh, involved in it. Yeah. And I know for myself, you know, the idea of watching like a, a really cool superhero show in Algonquin, I think would have been something I would have been open to as a kid. So that was the thinking. So we did that. There's the Algonquin Word of the Day project, which is kind of stalled out just because I haven't had time to right. provide any of the art. You got a few um, other things going on. And every time one of the books comes out, it gets uh, it gets a little bit dizzy. I think I was gone. There was one month where I was gone for about three weeks out of the month, so it gets it gets a little hectic. Um, and then uh, again with uh, Bear for Breakfast. So those I think are the three major language initiative projects I've taken on, and I'm really curious to see what's going to happen next. I think the uh, the biggest thing is more integration with technology. Yeah. And. You know, if we can see more stuff with uh, audiobooks and um, the idea of like guided pronunciation in an electronic book could be very cool. Yeah, that would be cool. And that's that's where I think we need to get to. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I know um, there's a lot of other people who are working on really cool things, and I need to be better about taking the time to learn what else is being done. And, and maybe if there's people I could be collaborating with. Yeah. Um, because you tend to end up like just in this weird little bubble of me. Right. So hopefully um, we can figure out some ways to, to work with other people coming forward, but I'm, I'm really excited. And I think we have a better set of resources than we've ever had to help keep the language alive. And that's, that's really cool because in my community, the language is being lost at a really, really quick rate. Our speakers are getting older, and a lot of the kids never had a chance to learn. So it's something we need to be vigilant about, and and uh, I'm really uh, I'm really hopeful though. So where can people see Kagagi? Kagagi aired on APTN in Canada, which is the Aboriginal People's Television Network. I think they periodically air it and then take it off the schedule. So sure. it's too hard for me to try to keep track of it at this point. But if you can't find it on TV. If you go to aptn.ca slash Kagagi, you can stream the entire season for free, which is cool. That's fabulous. Um, That's the show fa- also airs in the United States on a network called FNX. Oh, okay. And in nice. Australia oh. on a network called NITV. So we're really, uh, we're really lucky. You're all over the place. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've seen uh, a couple of episodes on uh, APTN. Cool, cool. I was at an indigenous comic con in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the first family that came up to my table were from Australia. And they were like, oh, you make Kagagi? And I said, yeah, are you familiar with it? And they were like, yeah, we watched the show there. And that's to me, that's really trippy. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's mind-blowing. That's great. Yeah. It really is, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, I've, been, uh, I've been very blessed. And it's always a trip to get to meet people from around the world who are familiar with the stuff I've done. It, it always freaks me out. So. Yeah. And how, Those how, are things you can't, how you can't be cognizant of when you're working on your little iPad or whatever. Look, this is going to be seen by millions of people. You can't, you know, it'll it'll screw you up. You got to just put it out of your head. Just get it done. 
And that's true of you, right? You do all your work on on uh, technology. You, you're not a, a pencil and paper person. Not, not at all anymore. I switched years ago, and uh, I went from like drawing on pencil and paper to drawing on kind of a tablet monitor. And now I draw on something portable just because I'm on the go so much of the time that I need to be able to draw on things that right. are that I can bring with me, and I can just like you know uh, draw on a train, draw on a plane, in an airport, in a hotel room, in a waiting room, wherever I might be. So yeah. you know those those gadgets to me are just completely uh, revolutionary for what we do as artists. There's kind of an image of the artist as this like hermit, kind of hidden away from the world in a cavern, just creating. And it used to be like that, but now it's a lot more like we're just drawing wherever we can get it in. So, yeah, exactly. So that's kind of like, Was that always true of you? Were you one of the? Were you the kid with the sketchbooks everywhere you went? Oh, definitely. My my deal was I wanted to write and I wanted to tell stories, and I fell in love with comic books. So I had other kids uh, who lived near me kind of drawing stuff for me and I'd pay them like a quarter or whatever. <laughs> and then I'd be coaching them going, no, you're not drawing this right. Batman's head doesn't look like that. Here's how his ears look. And one of them said, if you want to draw that way, why don't you draw it yourself? And I was like, actually, that's pretty good advice. So yeah. uh, I started drawing too, but I think the, uh, the writing tends to come more naturally to me. And it's something I think I'm, I'm on in all honesty, I think I'm better uh, as a writer than I am uh, an artist or uh, an illustrator. Are you going to work on a book? Well, I've done a few. Uh, there's the Kagagi thing. I was the lead writer on the Kagagi TV yeah. series as well. In terms of like children's picture books, it's it's something I'd be open to. I really wanted to do, in all honesty, I really wanted to do an Algonquin Word of the Day picture book. And uh, in all honesty, I spoke with the Toronto area publisher, and we started talking about numbers. And he, are, are bad words okay? Cuss words okay yeah, on this? That's, yeah, that's fine. Okay. So he literally called bullshit on me when I told him black fly sales numbers and he didn't believe me. And I said, I really don't care. I'll show you uh, a copy of my royalty statement. Yeah. Because he didn't believe we sold as much as I was claiming. And I showed him my royalty statement for the first quarter that black flies had come out. And he was like, oh, okay, well, I think what we could do. And I was like, no, there's no we now. You don't get to like <laughs> call me a liar and then go like, yeah, this is how we're building a business relationship. So it's unfortunate, but I think like, there are a lot of incorrect notions in the publishing industry that, that people are going to have to wake up to certain realities that like not only are First Nations people a bigger portion of the market than I think we're led to believe, yeah, but that non-Native Canadians are open to Native content in a way that maybe wasn't necessarily the case in the past. Absolutely. And, and as you've proven with Kagagi, not just non-Native Canadians, but uh, around the world, really. Around the world, yeah, exactly. And we're seeing it on a on a large scale, you know. Uh, when you look at the success of something like the Black Panther film, you know, it, yeah. it is what it is. Like writings on the wall, the the our world is increasingly becoming a global community. And and I'm not saying we live in some utopia where, you know, prejudice and and racism and things are things of the past by any stretch. But we've come a long way. I think through telling these stories and allowing people who haven't had a chance to tell their own stories in the past, allowing them to do that themselves and take control of their own narratives is going to help push things forward. And I think it's a big part of, of what needs to happen in order to continue bringing people together on a global scale. And I think the work you do with language preservation is a is a big part of that puzzle. It's a big piece in there. I appreciate it. Well, language and culture, right? Like they are inextricably linked. Thanks. I think the, the thing I usually like to say about it is in Canada, insofar as native and non-native people go, 
we've been trained for a long time to look at ways we're different and it's time we start looking at things we have in common by sharing each other's language and culture i think um we we can really help uh, get that ball rolling very nicely put thank you yeah we could we could end it there but i just want to ask you quickly with the teaching at the university of ottawa what what is it exactly that you're teaching so i've been teaching a course on creative writing with uh, specialization in comic books and it's something that I've I've enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. It's a smaller workshop style class, so I'm not dealing with a huge auditorium full of uh, students. But the approach I took to it was that we would all work, every student would work on uh, a number one issue of a theoretical comic book series over the course of the term. So by the end of the term, which is coming up next week, every student will have a finished number one issue of a comic book. Wow. Yeah. That can either just be something that they can say they accomplished or they can look into having it published. And for me, it was important that we not only deal with the theory of here's how to write comics, but the practicality of saying, look, we're going to jump in there. And we're all going to do it. And, and I think uh, that for me has more value than just like some grade I assign you at the end of a couple of months. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's been a learning experience for me. It's been a lot of fun. I don't know if I'm necessarily cut out to be a teacher. Um, and I have a lot of respect for people who uh, excel in that position. I don't know if I'm cut out for it long term, but it was uh, certainly a cool thing to try and to get to hang out and talk about comics for a couple hours every week is is something that I enjoy anyway. So Well, and I would imagine your students uh, really appreciate being taught by someone who's actually been there and, and done that. While they're working on their first issue, are you working on another new first issue for yourself? There's two things I'm working on in terms of graphic novels. One is a long in the process thing where I've just been kind of chipping away at it as I go and it's taken a lot longer than I'd hoped. But I've been working on a graphic novel called The Outsider, which is uh, kind of a post-apocalyptic grindhousey, gonzo over the top, ridiculous <laughs> graphic novel, which probably I shouldn't be doing in light of my success as a children's book illustrator. What? <laughs> It's, uh, I've always been fans of people like uh, Japanese film director Takashi Miike, who does, you know, samurai films and, and Yakuza films and then horror films and then an animated film. And I'm like, yeah, why can't you just do whatever you want, right? And, and I think that's, there's something really liberating in that some days you have a different song in your, in your heart or your soul, and, and it's nice to be able to sing those no matter what. And uh, so The Outsider's coming along. At this point, it's almost all drawn. Uh, I'm looking for a colorist to work on it. And I've got another graphic novel in the pipeline with a major publisher, and I'm hoping we should be able to hear back on whether or not that's going to be a go real soon. And if that goes, it's going to be something really cool that I never could have seen coming. So I can't really say much about it beyond that, but there's two major graphic novel uh, works in the works. And in terms of children's books, I'd, I'd really like to uh, take a run at, at doing something myself. If not the Algonquin Word of the Day picture book, then something with a narrative uh, right. I think would be a lot of fun. So, something you, you write to... and illustrate yourself you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Which I think nice. would be cool. Just because, um, again, I'm a, I'm a writer too, and I have ideas of things I'd like to do. Having said that, I do enjoy working with Robert quite a bit, and if we were going to do a couple of more of those before I uh, I did my own, I would not have a problem with it. I enjoy working on those books quite a bit. So, Well, like every writer I know, you keep yourself unbelievably busy. Thank you for the opportunity to come on and talk, and, and thank you for supporting and encouraging. I always appreciate it.
Que é. I'm just talking, just talking, just talking, just talking. Thanks to Jay for giving me some of his time, which is clearly in high demand. I was recently browsing the bookstore down at Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto, and there I came across Black Flies, Jay and Robert Munch's earlier collaboration. Thanks to you for listening. You can access this podcast on either SoundCloud, Radio Public, Stitcher, the Apple Podcasts app, or the Google Podcast app. You can find individual episodes through my own website at jkdegan.com and at bookroompod on Twitter. If you have suggestions for stories I might want to cover, you can reach out on Twitter or by email at bookroom14 at yahoo.com. And as always, thanks to Sandy Crawley for the music. We'll talk again soon.